Let's open up our Bibles today to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Thank you, Lord. Pastor Brian, for the past six weeks or so, has been preaching about the values, our biblical values that we have here at Grace Chapel. And the very first one out of the gate is the value of biblical authority. And that the Bible, the Word of God, is the lens by which we look at our world. You've heard, maybe heard the phrase of having a biblical worldview. So anything that we look at, anything that we associate with, our decisions that we make, what our priorities in life are, are seen through the lens of God's Word. Because if you don't have the Word to be a lamp unto your feet, you're going to stub your toe in the dark. If you don't have the word of God to hide in your heart, then when temptations come, you're going to fall to temptation. So the word of God is the absolute authority in our lives. And I want to say that the chief thing that we, that the Lord wants me to present to today, the, the one absolute priority is then the word that's shared about the Lord saying to us today, my people, my name, and my face. That's what he said to Solomon. And really, we could respond and say, Lord, we are your people. You call us by your name, and we desire, we long to seek your face. So this message of the Lord calling us his people and us calling us by his name and seeking his face transcends just the season of the midterm elections. It's something that we should be living and accomplishing and aspiring to do every day of our lives. I even felt sitting there, the, the Lord just saying, listen, this corporate anointing that we sense today, this corporate anointing that we were motivated to respond in, in worship and praise is what we're to carry with us when we walk in our individual lives throughout the marketplace, throughout the workplace, in our families, when you go home and have to bre and breakfast. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. And if that same spirit, the Holy Spirit, that is here with us to manifest that corporate presence, how much more do you think that he wants to manifest that abiding presence in us when we go out into the highways and byways? I believe that with all my heart. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Just to give you a little backdrop, King Solomon just finished building the temple. And throughout the entire Old Testament, you'll see how God encouraged and admonished his children that when they obeyed, they got blessed. If they disobeyed, there were some shortcomings that came with the package. Isaiah said it this way in chapter 1, verse 19. If you're willing and obedient, you're going to eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you're going to be devoured by the sword. Thus the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So the, the temple was just built and God was speaking directly to Solomon. And he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face 
and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. Then will I forgive their sin. And then will I heal their land. When God says my people, he's calling us the people of God. There was a time when we were without mercy, but we have now obtained mercy. There was a time then we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Jesus purchased his church with his shed blood. The psalmist said it this way, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So God wants to, uh, he wants to establish in our hearts today that we're not on our own. We've been bought with a price and he is in relationship with us. He said, and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. That's, that's the epitome of relationship. So we're saying, if my people, it's not going to be the heathen. It's not going to be the people that don't know God. It's not going to be the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or the Tea Party, okay, or the Tupperware Party that's going to get the job done. It's going to be the people of God that are going to get the job done. Hallelujah. And then he said, if my people who are called by my name. In the Old Testament, when a name was given, it, it, it imparted and meant authority. It released the purpose and the destiny inside that person. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. When it was prophesied that his name would be called Jesus, invested in that name was the Savior and the Redeemer and the Deliverer. Invested in that name was all the people that would come to know him as both Lord and Savior. So when he calls us by his name, he's imparting destiny to us. I know that as a, a kid growing up in Massapequa, Long Island, that when the lights started going on around dusk, it was about a good 10 or 15 minutes that if I didn't make my way home, I heard this. Thomas! And I not only recognized the name, but I recognized the voice. Then if my, my mom wasn't there or she was in the kitchen, my dad would come. And when I heard the whistle, it was time to go. When God calls us by his name, we have the ability to recognize. You've heard the name of the Lord call you. You've heard him call your name. I want to encourage you today. Everybody here has heard the voice of the Lord. The truth of the matter is there's a lot of noise and a lot of interference and a lot of false messages that are be given out there. And that's why God encourages us to turn aside and to see what he would say to us. So he said, if my people who are called by my name, and then he said, if they would humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Seeking the face of God means coming to know him up close and personal. We have, and we live in a day today where there's FaceTime. And whenever we want to call and talk to our grandkids, and boop, 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 we dial that number, and our daughter Christina has her FaceTime open, and all of a sudden our grandkids, Lily and Aiden. Lily is about a year and a half now, babe. 
a year and a half, and she hears Mimi's voice, and she starts getting all excited about seeing Mimi. And then she, when, she, when Christina puts the phone in front of her face, oh, she gets doubly excited. And then Papa comes along. Now she's really excited. And we get excited as she is because she's getting excited because she sees us. I want you to know the Father in heaven sings songs over us. He rejoices over us. He extends his love towards us. He wants to demonstrate the riches of his grace in kindness towards us as we come and seek him. So we're saying here in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. It takes a deliberate effort. It takes a conscientious effort. It takes a specific effort to seek God in the time of prayer. And like I said, I want to go back. The emphasis is, is living and moving and having our being in this progress towards seeking the Lord's face. Now, I understand there's opportunities when that may not be always the case. But if a crisis arises, if an emergency arises, if a need arises, we run to the Lord for help. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's Old Testament examples where those situations arose. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat was faced with the enemies coming at the borders of the nation of Judah. So he was scared. He was frightened. But then he sought the Lord. And he announced a time for the congregation to get together. And the first thing out of Jehoshaphat's mouth was, Lord, Lord, you are the most high God. You're the all-sufficient God. You are God over all the kingdoms and kingdoms and kings of the earth. And they sanctified a fast. They had a time of prayer. There was a prophetic word that came up that said, listen, the battle's not yours. It's the Lord's battle. You don't have to worry about the swords or the spears. Just send out the musicians. Send out the singers. Send out those that know how to praise God. And when they did, they sent out the singers before them. That The Lord set ambushments around the enemy and destroyed the enemy. And God's nation was saved as a result of prayer and seeking God. So the leaders heard God. The leaders called for a time of prayer. How many of you know they responded and God responded? Amen. There was another time when Nehemiah was coming to the city and saw the the walls that were torn down and and the gates were burned with fire. And he was moved. He was grieved. and, And again, he sought the Lord and he prayed for favor for the king there at that time. And guess what? God gave him favor with the king. And the king made way for him to have entrance to go repair the wall. He even provided the wood for that to happen. And then when the, when the children of Israel were building the wall, Sanballat and Tobiah came against them and to try to get them to come down off the wall to stop their work. But again, they said, no, 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 no. Lord, you're a great God. You're a mighty God. The people prayed to them. The people prayed to God. And God, again, confused the counsel of the enemy, confused their plans. And they were turned back to work. The Bible says they had a building implement in one hand and they had a weapon of war in the other hand. I like to say that God is raising up ambidextrous Christians, hallelujah, who know how to build and know how to fight and are not going to come down off the wall. Amen? Now, when we get to the New Testament, we find out, you know, Jesus is our example. We follow his example in prayer. Paul was no slouch either. He was a strong proponent of prayer. 
In Ephesians chapter 6, he said, praying at all times for all people. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So there was an emphasis in prayer in Paul's day. And Paul spoke specifically about praying for our leaders. Open your Bible now to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And Paul's talking to Timothy. And he says this. I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority, that can include your boss, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and in all reverence. Why is it good to pray for our leaders? He gives you the answer in verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is but one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Jesus Christ our Lord. So how many of you know that the Lord has got the big picture in mind? The big picture is souls. He said that his, he's not slow about his promises as some count slowness. But is not willing for any to perish. But that all should come to repentance. So even the chiefest of scoffers. And the chiefest of mockers and the chiefest of persecutors are deserving of our prayers, regardless of what party they belong to. And before I go any further, I want to make this absolutely clear. This is not an issue about partisanship. Partisanship means we favor somebody because we have an affinity, uh, a personal preference in one direction or another. It has absolutely nothing to do with partisanship, but it has everything to do with stewardship. That which God has entrusted us. He's entrusted us with our families. He's entrusted us with a good job. He's entrusted us with this local community here in Palm Beach County. He's entrusted us just as we prayed to pray before for Loxahatchee, the Acreage, Royal Palm Beach, Pahokee, South Bay, Cluiston, Royal Palm Beach, Lake Worth, Green Acres. He has entrusted us. He's put us here to be a light shining in a dark place, to be the salt of the earth. Amen. He's put us here to be, as it were, a, a place that would shine a light through prayer and dispel the darkness. Amen. So it's not about partisanship, but it's about stewardship. And may I say that if we had a tendency to pray more fervently for one candidate or one person in office than we prayed for another person in office, if I was less likely to pray for somebody because my guy did not win, but now I'm really enthusiastic because my guy is in, that's not how God designed it for Paul to exhort Timothy. Now, I know the Dodgers are playing the Red Sox. And you might be a fan of one or the other. God bless you, okay? Now, if you're a baseball enthusiast, if you're a baseball enthusiast, then you could watch the World Series just wanting the best team to win. 
Oh, the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. Partisanship has got no place in praying in the kingdom of God. Do you, do you agree? Can I get an amen on that? So is it possible that the Lord wants to maybe shine the light a little bit here and encourage us and exhort us to pray in such a manner where it's no longer I pray my will, but I pray thy will be done. Amen? So when Paul is saying, if you could stick that first verse up there again, he says, I pray for kings and those who are in positions of authority. Proverbs 21 and 1 says that the heart of a king is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he wishes. So would it be reasonable to say, Lord, we pray for our leaders. We pray for our leaders that you turn their hearts towards righteousness. Turn their hearts, oh God, open their eyes to the wisdom of God. Open their eyes, O oh God. Turn their hearts for the reverential fear of God. Let them stand in awe, O oh God, that they recognize that you put them there, O oh God. Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7 says, promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the south. Promotion doesn't come from man. Promotion comes from the Lord. He'll put one down and sit another one up. Hallelujah. So promotion comes from God. Proverbs 14, 34 says this, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin brings a reproach to any people. So is it reasonable that righteousness is something that we should endeavor to pray for in all of our leaders? The apostle Paul mentioned in his epistles that it was the long suffering of God towards, towards him while he was Saul of Tarsus that enabled him to be used as a, as a pattern or as an example for other people to be saved. You know what Paul was essentially saying? There's no nut too tough to crack for Jesus. If he could save me, he could save everybody, amen? So isn't every person, regardless of their political spectrum or affiliation, worthy of our prayers for them to get saved, for them to have their eyes open, for them to receive forgiveness of sins, for them to be delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of our dear God, amen? Give me, a, give God a hand clap on that, because he's worthy. He's worthy. Paul told the Corinthian church, he said, listen, I, you know what? I hear that there's divisions among you. He's talking to the church now. He didn't say, I hear that some are Yankee fans and some are Boston fans. He said, I hear that some of you are saying you're of Apollos, you're of Cephas, you're of Paul. He said, in effect, what did they do for you? Nada, zilch, zip. Our allegiance, our devotion, our commitment, our heartfelt affection and desire to please is not to support some political uh, policy that I feel like I've got to jump on that soapbox and, and tell about. Our allegiance and our association and our commitment should be to the one who died and shed his blood for us, amen, whose day is coming, hallelujah. That's how we should pray. So we see some examples in the Old Testament. We see how the Lord and Paul gave some examples in the, in the New Testament. What about our founding fathers? It was in the year 1787 when all the, the delegates of the 12 of the 13 states were gathered together 
to at the Constitutional Convention for the convention to be formed, which would formulate the Constitution as we know it today. By the way, it's the longest lasting, effective, current Constitution in the world. Listen to what Ben Franklin said. He's talking to the men there. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when it's presented to us. How has it happened, sirs, that we have not once thought about humbling applying to the Father of Lights to illuminate our understanding? Sounds like some committees and legislative sessions that are going on today. He said, how has it not crossed our mind that we should seek the Father of Lights and ask him for mercy? So there was a stalemate. There was no agreement. There was confusion. There was darkness. There were people jockeying for position. So Benjamin Franklin called for a time of fasting and prayer. So before the delegates were about to leave for their home state, they fasted and prayed. They came back together. They decided they were going to stick it out. And within 10 weeks, the Constitution of the United States of America was formulated by that group of men there. This is what he said. I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proof I see of this truth, that God governs the affairs of men. The heart of a king is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. There was a turning and a shifting and a nudging and a prompting of the hearts of those men that was due to prayer. If my people will call by my name, will humble themselves and pray, they followed the admonition written by God to Solomon all those years before that. And the Lord demonstrated his goodness. And there was a shifting that took place in our nation that day. I'm convinced that God always has a people who are called by his name, who will humble themselves and pray, who will seek his face, and he will come and touch us and heal our land. 